Greetings, peasants. Welcome back to the Knights and Nerds podcast. This is Tim. I'm the Dungeon Master, and I want to say thank you very much for listening to this. Today, I am talking with a friend and a fellow creator, Andrew Kolb. He is a he is an artist. He's illustrated a bunch of children's books, and he has also created his own campaign setting book for Neverland, which is compatible for fifth edition. I will link to where you can pick up your own copy because I have a copy and it is a fantastically gorgeous book. He wrote it and illustrated it completely, and it is many hundreds of pages of quality material. Um, so anyways, he, uh, he and I are going to talk about creating a setting. Um, he chatted with Ryan Howard uh, a few months ago, and I've got the link to that discussion in the uh, notes as well. You should definitely check it out. I myself am not trying to interview Andrew. I kind of stumble my way and stutter my way through uh, parts of this conversation, and I just kind of wanted it to be more of a conversation between two people who are talking about making a setting and their varying approaches. Um, and one person in particular is much more articulate and and comes off in a much greater degree of being competent at creating a setting, and that would be not me. I, I do also want to point out that this conversation took place in between the conversations I had with Ryan. As you may recall, I mentioned that I, I chatted with Ryan first, um, really before I started doing much planning at all. And that recording was sort of, I found out months later, um, completely botched. So I, I messed it up. And so I had this recording with Andrew and I make references to, I think I may make references to chatting with Ryan. Uh, but that was to a conversation with Ryan that no one will ever hear, unfortunately. Um, and so the conversation I had with Ryan last week actually took place after this conversation with Andrew. It's it's a very uh, sort of Tarantino-esque timeline, so I apologize for any confusion. Anyways, today's the last day of our giveaway. So, I mean, if you're listening to this on Friday and you haven't entered, uh, you still have probably a few hours to enter the giveaway. And then we'll do the draw for the gift card to the Nerdy Chicken Shop of Curiosities. And I'll announce the winner uh, maybe over the weekend. So if you've entered, good luck to you. And sort of, uh, if you win, I will reach out to you directly. Now, next week is going to be another campaign planning episode. Just me. And I'm talking about like the broad strokes of my plan. So big time spoiler stuff. And then the week after will be campaign episode one. So I hope you are excited. It is it is a heck of an introduction. It's over two hours long. Um, so yeah, get excited for that. Um, you know, whatever you're doing right now, stop. Um, you know, maybe throw something off the side of a table. Uh, start honking your horn like just randomly at uh, at passersby and, and wave at them. Honk at people on the sidewalk and then wave and then they'll, they will instinctively wave back at you before realizing that they don't know who you are. Give it a try. Anyways, that's the sort of excitement that I, I really want to uh, people to, to feel knowing that this crazy ass episode is coming. So anyways, uh, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can really help us out by leaving a rating or review. Or you could just tell a friend or an enemy or a family member or a total stranger to check us out. We, we always appreciate that. The word of mouth um, you know, goes a long way. 
And I think that's enough of me babbling about. All right, so let's just get on with my chat with Andrew Kolb talking about creating a setting. Okay, uh, Andrew, thanks very much for uh, joining me in this conversation. I was hoping that we could just start off. Uh, we're just going to be talking about creating a setting uh, today. And I wanted to chat with you about this because I have been, uh, I don't know if struggling is the right word, but uh, working working hard, but maybe not working smart in terms of creating the setting for, uh, for my new campaign. And I, um, I had a chat, like, I know that we, you and I have both spoken with, with Ryan Howard of, of the Roll and Bones podcast. He, he actually chatted with me about creating a setting as well. And it's been, I think probably at least a month since that chat and I've made a bit of progress. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk to somebody else who has experience with creating settings from scratch, uh, just to kind of get a uh, a bit of a wider uh, range of approaches. Because I feel like my approach is very, um, like I, I sort of have my my own my own method, and I, I feel like maybe with maybe some other people feel this way too about their own process, but I feel like sometimes I'm stuck in it. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, if, if you can just sort of, um, I guess, introduce, introduce yourself. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I recognize I was immediately going to go into a question without any sort of intro. Uh, so yeah, real quick. Um, my name is Andrew Kolb. I'm a, like an author and illustrator and now recently uh, like game designer in that I designed the, uh, or because uh, there are multiple, but uh, I've done an interpretation of Neverland, like the kind of world of Peter Pan and Hook and so on, as a hex crawl campaign setting. So um, yeah, th- those are my, I don't know, credentials or the reason why <laughs> you've taken the time to have me on outside of us uh, playing D&D on our own time and knowing each other outside of the world of, of podcasting. Um, mm-hmm. so that's that. But yeah, so I'm sorry. To, and to go right into my question, I guess, what are the, so I guess for me, what I usually try to start with, and because I base it off of like existing properties, um, I really kind of dig into the themes of what the books, like for Neverland, I try to dig into what the themes of the book were, uh, and then expand off of that. So have you at this point established, or do you think about what the, the themes of your campaign will be? in like the broadest strokes? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I, I honestly don't know if I had a, um, a theme for the last campaign, the one that ended, uh, that we were podcasting with, um, with the dragonborn and, and the, uh, I don't know how much I want to spoil. I guess it's been out for a while now. Anyways, with the old group, uh, I don't know if I had like a campaign theme that like I tried to reinforce with the various dilemmas that I was creating. And in terms of this new one, I, I think what I'm like ultimately going to try to go for is, is choosing, and this is, this is not really original or anything like that, but like choosing, choosing the greater good over the personal good. Okay. 
I guess, I guess, is that the sort of theme that you mean? Or I don't know if that's more yeah, of a motif. No, yeah, definitely. Or a... And I mean, I, I think, like, so with, like, Neverland, there are, uh, like, a, a couple of themes. Like, it's not, I don't think there's just, like, one, for me at least. So I don't think you need to, uh, or I don't think I've ever thought of a setting as just, like, one theme. Um, but actually, I also realize, how much do you want to get into what you've discussed? Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but you and I have talked off off air about this a bit. So what... What are what are you open to sharing at this point as far as what you've worked on? Oh yeah, um, well we're we're scheduled to record our actual like first first uh, session this week, so I've um, I've got enough to 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 run probably the first uh, the first two sessions. Um, obviously, the characters aren't going to be exploring the entire world uh, in that brief time. So and and I guess yeah, total spoiler warning for anyone listening. Um, and and like I I was really um, not holding anything back when I when I chatted with Ryan uh, either about what I was sort of planning. This is going to be packed full of spoilers potentially. So uh, just just a heads up. So I mean that I I think that's the the whole um, purpose of of the episode is to to sort of show my hand and then like in in however many months time we'll see we'll see how it all plays out um so i'm like ask me whatever and 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 i'll if i've planned something i'll 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 be able to comment on it but uh understanding that and i guess this is also hopefully still accurate info that um a lot of your world is built off of the kind of concept of like raw powerful magical material kind of reigning to the i guess not earth but like to the planet right and still being used uh, as a resource yes that is a that is the fundamental um a, a fundamental key component uh of of the of the campaign uh which is something that our settings actually uh, have in common now i, I should before we get too deep into this, I want to tell everyone, go listen to the episode of Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, uh, where he interviews Andrew and they talk about this, this amazing uh, setting book in, in greater detail, um, or I should say in detail. Uh, it'll, it'll help really contextualize this conversation that we're having, I think, very, very well. Um, but uh, yeah, we both have, we both have sort of a, <laughs> which was entirely coincidental because I was... Right. I was in the midst of, of planning the... <laughs> you sound very skeptical. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Completely, completely genuine. That's only the internet. Uh, no, and I also don't think I take full credit for it uh, because I think a big inspiration for me... So what we're talking about is essentially like fallen stars or what we've both interpreted to be kind of like starfall that is being harnessed for magical power, uh, which I, I will be open and say that like playing breath of the wild was a big influence on on that component of just like like the visual so i mean at the end of the day we oh is there is there is there starfall in uh, something like that in that game uh yes yeah it's not quite the same but essentially what it is is like stars fall you collect them and then you use them as like a resource so i mean there's still a layer of interpretation but i think uh how i envision them like visually or just kind of the kind of process is is one-to-one with the game so uh no absolutely not skeptical that uh you lifted my work because i lifted others work so it's all it's all public domain (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, we're all we're all just borrowing from each other. Actually, I wrote the very first full length manuscript that I wrote when I was like, I want to try writing a, a novel, like a, an epic fantasy story, was about um, a world where uh, these shards fall to the like, kind of come down in these storms, these generational sort of meteorological events, and uh, and the the royal, quote unquote royal uh, or ruling families were determined by who, who could get some of these, you know, crystalline shards and jam them into their flesh and their, therefore give themselves like crazy magical powers. But, uh, and then those magical powers were sort of hereditary and then eventually waned over the course of generations. And then like a ruling, a ruling class was only, uh, legitimate based on how much power they had, like how much power they could exert in the real world with their with their magic, and because people would respect that cool. and sort of. Um, so I, I I kind of like took that, and that was a that was a story that I wrote years ago and never did anything with because I was like, this is going to be my first manuscript and it's probably going to be real bad, so I'm not going to do anything with it. But the exercise I thought was val- valuable um, in itself. Oh, that's uh, so I, I, and, and that's, that's an interesting thing, uh, in, in terms of like what you're, what you're saying about, um, incorporating that, uh, that element from other media into your, uh, into your work. Like w- when, when you were playing Breath of the Wild, like had you started Neverland or when you played it, were you thinking that, that this is something that I would like to incorporate into a game sometime? Yeah, I think it was... I think it, uh, yeah, I don't remember the timing of it specifically, also because I've played through Breath of the Wild like twice now that I, I don't remember when, when what happened uh, or when something happened and how it overlapped with Neverland. Um, but I would, I would say like part of the, so, and going back to kind of like themes, like I think because of uh, designing Neverland as like a hex crawl and therefore like really emphasizing like exploration and um uh just kind of like player driven choice then i think i was naturally gravitating towards other forms of media that nurture those similar kind of themes or kind of like experiences like i wanted i wanted a certain feeling when when people are playing neverland and i think because of that then went to other forms of media that gave me that feeling that i was trying to grasp and then really kind of teased out what about it gives it gets there like how what, basically what, what are the ingredients that go into it and then how did i uh, or how do i kind of recreate that or build on that or reinterpret it yeah now in terms of in terms of neverland first off i have to say it's a it's a it's a gorgeous book um just it's so so pleasing just to flip through the pages um i mean you must be thrilled with the final product yeah and uh, uh yeah absolutely and i appreciate you saying that because it's this is my like first real deep dive into but like publishing something like this so it's all very new territory like my background is in picture books and from that side of things i kind of know what to expect but when it comes to this it's it's all uncharted land uh and because of that very happy with how it came out given that i'd i think it could go any number of ways yeah, and I should also mention you designed our logo too. I don't know how I, how that has eluded me <laughs> oh, yeah. up to this point. <laughs> um, yeah, so so when I like when I go about creating a setting, um, I I'm just sort of starting with like uh, 
a, a blank page and I'm sort of operating from the default assumption of like a classical fantasy setting. Um, unless like I, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience like running like a crazy number of, of campaigns. Like I've run a few in-depth long campaigns. And so I, I, you know, hopefully like in the future, I'll be able to, to, to really change my approach to creating a setting, but I haven't created like a, uh, I guess the last one was more like high, high magic setting. And this one will be a low magic setting, which is, which is why the Starfall is going to be such a key component because it's such, you know, such a, a valuable or invaluable uh, resource. But the way that I approach the, usually the setting is, or when I'm creating a campaign is, uh, is like just by starting with like what, what sort of antagonist uh, or monster, for lack of a better word, that I want to have as the, uh, as the end boss or as as like one of the end end bosses in in terms of, you know, just sort of thinking about my own fun at the table. Like what sort of what sort of monsters or creatures do I want to run, and then and then I sort of start planning, uh, I guess backwards from there. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think I think our approaches are quite different. You're because i'm i'm thinking of creating creating a setting that serves one story and you're you're creating a setting that can serve any multitude of stories so it's it's i feel like we're almost uh, we're almost like uh, on two ends like opposite ends of a spectrum <laughs> right cuz i think i i tend to nurture and obviously we've played in in games together before too i tend to nurture uh, like a like a real sandbox style where it's like, do you know what? I have enough kind of like generally prepared that like wherever you go, something will happen. Um, but I think the trade off is that then you don't have that same kind of like narrative arc that I think you get out of a out of a more linear style of play, uh, which is I think why I tend to go back to th- to theme more because I feel like. If, if you don't have that kind of like beginning, middle and end, then I think if you're just left with the impression that this feels cohesive, no matter what you do, uh, and I think you get there by theme, then I think that feels a little like I feel I think that feels satisfying. I think what it is is or I think how I would describe it is I feel like what you're describing is more like film, uh, f- like a like a film uh, approach to to adventure design. And I think the settings that I design try to lend themselves to like episodic or more like tv where like each night you sit at the table you'll probably get something there might be some hints at the bigger picture but it's not it's not always moving towards that um and that's that's i think why i start from like themes and work my way up and let it branch out as opposed to what you're describing of like kind of starting top down um yeah I, i i don't know what to make of that or how we then how we how would you suggest getting to the middle uh, or the middle ground between the two of these approaches? Like I've, I've created, I've created a map uh, of, of my world. And, and I, uh, I guess if I could, I guess if I can like root, root this comment in like the context of the last campaign, like I, I sort of know where, where the, where I have an idea of where I want the, party to end up and and what my what my antagonists goals are okay uh and and maybe this is also my sort of 
my my sort of process in terms of creating a, a story is uh, establishing sort of like the major beats and then and then there's sort of this uh, liminal zone in between and the players sort of, of fill that in with what they want to do like how they want to 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 go about it uh, in the last campaign there was a very linear portion of the quest where they were going uh, you know through a very sort of closed environment to get one thing and then and then the next leg of the quest was very open-ended and they decided how they wanted to to approach it i don't know maybe that's maybe that's sort of the the middle ground is is you need to you need to accomplish x how do you want to accomplish it and then how however you want to as a as a dungeon master or game master however much you want to prepare for that if you wanted to prepare like uh, ahead of time, you know, or or if you want to listen to what your players say and then sort of just pick up on something that they've suggested and go with that. But in terms of in terms of theme, um, what would you what would you say like the theme of Neverland would be? Um, so and <laughs> luckily I had done the research before this because I think otherwise <laughs> I'd be stumped. Uh, so I think with Neverland, or at least the, the themes that I've pulled out of it um, are kind of like the elements of growing up um and the kind of like resistance to that or accepting of that um so i guess like the big themes are like growing up the sense of home uh and like the sense of adventure i think those would be the three that i tried to kind of tease out so with that then um with the sense of home then you get lots of like different types of homes on the island um there's a lot of uh emphasis on like uh, creature nests and creature lairs because of of that um, and then that also nurtures the exploration uh, and then with the kind of like aging then a lot of the animals have like an infant or an adult form things like that um, so that's and I mean because of that then a lot of the setting is already like developed for me um, or I've, I've art because I have those kind of core themes then things get developed pretty pretty quickly but I'm also designing a small uh, I don't know maybe 15 by 15 mile uh, space although it's still pretty big but like you're designing an entire world so a uh, very different scale um, yeah that's how I've that's how I've approached it and like what you're describing with the uh, with the resource kind of raining down then do you have a sense of like I think it seems like cycles would be a big kind of factor to your world of like really managing this resource that we don't know how long it'll last uh, and making the most of it but then also those with abundance don't have to consider it the same um, and then maybe also this like the sky or just kind of the power coming from above like maybe that continues to be a theme uh, in your in your world not that you're looking for suggestions I, I think I'm just taking away what i would what i would interpret as themes from your current campaign or new campaign yeah i guess i guess theme like wasn't you know that like that's obviously like a very key uh cornerstone of 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 how how you're approaching creating a setting uh with me i i don't know i guess i'm i'm a little bit um I feel like a little bit more of a novice that I'm just kind of going like, what, what kind of cool monsters do I want to have? Um, 
But so, okay, so what are those? Like, what are those monsters that you want to have? Like, what's so on the the flip side, what are those specific beats that you want to hit? I know we're, is this okay to get into like this deepest spoilers? Because this feels like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Long term. Okay, okay, okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, So I knew that, I knew that I wanted to have a, like, I knew that I wanted to have a beholder as probably one of the, if not the final uh, challenge. Um, and I wanted to have the beholder as, as sort of like this background influence where the, it, like the, the players, uh, are, are sort of caught up in this, in this warping effect that the, like, I don't know how to, how, how to, uh, how to sort of insert myself into my own thought process. So the, (laughs) uh, there's, there is an existing antagonist in one of the player's backstory, who is summoning this this creature from the astral plane uh, in sort of like a I guess a, a like a pact almost um, the beholder the beholder wants to show up it it understands that this starfall event is impending it wants to use that resource for its own purposes the players interrupt this summoning ritual. Uh, in such a way that the beholder arrives, but it's hibernating. They don't know. They they won't. They won't know what it is or what's happened uh, at first. But the the beholder's dreams, in in written lore, can affect the real world. So I was like, well, what if what if the beholder keeps dreaming of something, and the players are caught up in it, and they keep switching between these various dreams that the beholder's having. So that's going to be part of their challenge is going to be figuring out why the very fabric of reality keeps breaking. Every every dream will be like sort of um, like will take them to a new version of reality where things are different, but kind of the same. They'll in each one. It's a new type of starfall event. Every time that they every time that they succeed or fail in a obtaining the starfall the the dream will change kind of like i don't know if you saw edge of tomorrow where every time tom cruise dies the day resets oh yeah yeah yep um so they've been told by they're sort of being given guidance by the warlock's patron who's a devil who i'm also very excited to use uh as a as an npc in this in this game and he may actually become like uh, uh working against the party further on in the campaign that's something that i haven't quite gotten any concrete details on it. it really depends on how the players approach it he uh, the 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 fiend understands that there's this influence that is affecting reality that they have to they have to obtain the starfall to you know amass enough power to break whatever's happening and so i mean that's that's sort of that's sort of the very verbose <laughs> verbose summary of why i wanted to use a beholder because i i like the idea of of this sort of reality warping adventure hopping uh adventure uh type of type of scenario i i wanted to use some undead as well i haven't i haven't really used a ton of undead in my campaigns before i mean the beholder's ultimate goal is to become a, a death tyrant and so a death tyrant can create undead. So I think one of the versions of the dreams that they will go to is in a world where he's already achieved this. And so it's overrun with undead and they'll have to fight some of that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's sort of, 
That's sort of the broad strokes. <laughs> okay. So then what is... So I'm assuming that like do the characters or do the players start like in media res as far as the summoning and then and then go from there. The the party gets their call to action from the warlock's patron, who is obsessed with keeping things balanced. That's his whole motif is balance. Um, okay. And he 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 knows that there is this ritual that will take place that will unbalance things greatly and so he directs them to interrupt the ritual and that's uh that's the end of uh, that will be the first uh session will be them interrupting the ritual and then once they're sort of out of that they'll realize that things have changed in ways that they don't fully understand and they'll come to understand eventually gotcha right because they don't have enough of a sense of like what the norm is yet to know what is not normal after, like after that first kind of break, right? Right, yeah. Once they come out of the ritual, which will be happening sort of in this um, mine, they'll once they're once they're back on the surface, they'll they'll realize right away, like, oh, our environment is has is changed. Cool. Okay. Like the things things are different. Like the statue in the town is different. Um, um, people. People don't know that there's a mine outside of the hills. Like they, it was it was a mining town. Now it's no longer a mining town, sort of thing. It's, but like all the all the NPCs in in the in the town are the same. They're just, it's like, what are you talking about a mine? We we our trade is like silk from the spiders in the hills. Gotcha. And then do they still know the players? Like, will they still oh, yeah. exist in this other? Oh, okay, okay. With. Uh... What you were, where you were at with Ryan, and then what progress you've made now, uh, and then also understanding where you uh, want to go next, or what, like, what gaps you still feel need filling. Oh yeah. So when I was when I was first talking with Ryan, what I what I had wanted to do was to have there be three distinct. Uh, narratives, three distinct dreams that the players keep bouncing back and forth between. I didn't understand how I was going to accomplish this or why why these dreams would be specific to the the players. Like I wanted them to each like each dream be offering something of value to one of the three players, but uh, but f- for that particular narrative to be worse for the other two, and for them to try to decide which. How do we decide where, like, which truth we want to accept? We, Ryan had had really asked me some very pointed questions in terms of like why, like, why are the players, why, why them, like, why are they the ones who are important? And I, I didn't have an answer for that, and I had kind of abandoned that idea to have three dreams that were based on what the players' wants were. I couldn't make sense of it. That was just an interesting idea that I had for a dilemma. I think I'll incorporate aspects of that later on. Yeah, when I was talking with Ryan, I I essentially just knew that I wanted to use the Beholder and I wanted to have like the story change between different versions of 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 the same world and then, you know, sort of bring the players to to making difficult choices. Is essentially what I what I had at that point. And I I kind of even I think I decided on a low magic setting, but I hadn't even really firmly uh, 
articulated the idea of, of the starfall at that point. So a lot's, a lot's changed since that initial conversation. Cool. Okay. And then where uh, do you want to take it next? Like that's been the progress, but where, what's, what's, what's kind of like the road ahead? I didn't really start getting into, into detail until I had the players like complete their character sheets. So, I mean, if, if there was no warlock packed to the fiend, I wouldn't probably wouldn't have included a devil in the story. Um, like that only came about once I, once we really sort of got the characters figured out, uh, where I want to take it next. Uh, like I'm just trying to think in like a, like a three act structure sort of thing and trying to think of like where, like where the characters will, like, where does it make sense for them to end up? I know how each of them sort of pictures their character will change. And I'm just trying to, to, trying to accommodate those changes in the story. So I think like act one will be, will be a couple of these dreams where they're accumulating starfall. And then probably that's during like throughout act one, they'll, they'll probably use some of it to create like magic items. And that's, I guess, another thing that I've, uh, I'm going to have to incorporate like a crafting system. Okay. Yeah. It seems like it might be fun. I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make a, make a mess of it, but we'll, we'll see. Part of the, I guess, part of the second uh, act will incorporate the, the Feywild. And then, and then I think the third act will be choosing will be like the beholder and the devil will each give the player, like make, make an offer to the players. Like I can give you this. If you, if you side with me, like the devil also wants to use the starfall for his own purposes and sort of that's, that's where I'm going to be sort of taking things in, in the, in the broadest sense that I can think of. Again, I, I haven't, I haven't gotten much in terms of concrete. Like I don't want to plan too far ahead because like I did that with, with the last campaign and then things, things change so so much that i feel like some of my efforts in in terms of planning went to went to waste gotcha i mean it sounds great like it sounds like you basically set up like chapter or like part one and part two are not set but at least are moving towards this like big decision and then uh like part three is really determined by what those players choose, right? Like, it, like depending on who they align themselves with, will determine what happens in the second half of the or the, the the last third of the game, right? Yeah, and and speaking of which, um, let's talk about let's talk about Neverland again because you have I'm looking near the back of the of the book, and you have this. It looks like a, almost like a chemistry diagram. Of, of a very complicated molecule, but it's got bird, ants, pan, gnomes, croc, wendy, furies, mermaids, beasts, john, pirates, locals. And you've got all these different arrows going back and forth between, uh, like, describing their relationships. For me, a setting feels very empty and uh, very lackluster until I start figuring out who's in it. When you When you were creating Neverland... Obviously, you have some some pre-existing uh, groups like factions to work with. You've got pirates, you've got the Lost Boys, and and the fairies, and 
and I guess the I don't know if the crocodile is a faction more he's more like a force of nature right. but like yeah you've 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 got quite a lot of players here and you had essentially your note says can I can I read part of it can I read this little paragraph sure. that you wrote yep. yeah yeah definitely so referring to referring to your um this this page it's page 168 for anyone who's got the book uh, this is how Neverland started out. I broke down who would live there, what they offered to the island, and how they all got along with each other. Essentially, I was aiming for a closed ecosystem that was delicately balanced so that the players could come in and mess it all up. A lot of core, a lot of the core details were established at this stage, and while I often tried other ideas, I kept coming back to this. So, it sounds like it sounds like there were other things that you were thinking of incorporating that you decided against. Yeah, I think I think what I ended up doing was I think what I had toyed with was kind of splitting up the different factions. Like um, I'd maybe toyed with the pirates. There'd be like a group that really supported Hook, and then a group that really kind of wanted to work against Hook, and making that pretty prominent. Um, like I think essentially what I was doing was I was splitting hairs, and I think I realized that it was getting too I was getting too in the weeds. Like I think. I think for my players, what helped was, uh, or like, and now as I like am like playing it or running it, finding that, I mean, obviously each pirate is unique and has their own individual hopes and dreams, but I think if they kind of have a consistent thread or kind of a consistent overarching, like just feeling or goal, then it helped kind of organize things for my players because there are so many different moving parts. Um, like I think, if I were to kind of expand this out into kind of like a like a full nation, what I would do is look at the different, like if there are cities or different areas, and then essentially go, how do these all relate to each other? And it could be as simple as this forest, uh, or sorry, this city hunts in this forest, but this city uh, mines from the north end. So they like kind of have a relationship, but there's still kind of a very simple approach to what that relationship is. Um, and then depending on if the group goes to the one uh, city and helps them mine more, then that makes them enemies of the hunters or vice versa. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I approached it. And anytime I tried to go deeper than that or tried to make it more nuanced, it, it just got muddied. And I think because there are already so many moving parts, it's still... It, it was complex enough, but I realized, oh, I don't need to get into that much detail. Uh, so I don't know if that helps or uh, if that's something that uh, would help with kind of making the world feel more alive. But I've really tried to approach just just like a one simple line, like what does the who does this city hate? And like obviously everyone's an individual, but at least if you know, oh, this city hates the trolls in the mountains, then if you run up to someone and then they're like, oh, I don't like I'm fine with the trolls, then you know, oh, they're kind of like an outsider compared to the rest of the city. Um, so I, yeah, it's it's and maybe that's just because this is uh, my first foray into this, but keeping it simple really helped me in making those connections yeah that's something that i um wanted to sort of really uh highlight is that there's 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 enough here for players to really like you said there's a lot for them to mess up (laughs) Um, like it almost feels like if there was less then there might be something missing uh and i think that's 
like when when you're creating a setting i think finding that balance is very like can be very tricky like how do you how do you decide when to stop how do you decide like when enough is enough like when you're is it when you're trying to like where does this piece fit in and you can't really find a good spot for it you just is that is that enough of a cue to leave it out yeah and i think i also especially when i was looking at like the people of the of the island i was really looking at it as what purpose do they serve so there are like the pirates which are more like just and this is really high level like basic stuff but like the pirates are like confrontation and the kind of like local inhabitants are like the conservationists and the lost boys are kind of like the chaotic just you don't know what they expect um and i tried to have as many different but clearly defined personalities even just in the groups um across the island and then if i got to a point where I was adding another group that went, oh, but this is too close to the to the mermaids, or this is serving a similar purpose to this, then I would roll them into one or just omit them entirely. Because uh, I, I find if you, yeah, if you have like two groups of antagonists, then it's like, well, why bother fighting or aligning ourselves with this uh, warlord versus this warlord? Like they have nothing different to offer. But if one one city is run by a, a democracy and the other city is run by a, a, a warlord then do the players choose the like right or might is right or do they choose like elected official like it's just if there's enough distinction then it makes it easier for the players to make a choice um so i found yeah once i got to the point where characters or groups or factions weren't adding something unique then i would leave them out or do my best to leave them out or roll an idea into something else yeah and and something else that's showing up on this page that i really uh really liked um and you'll have to tell me where you got this as the uh the headings social political economic religious military now i had watched a youtube video about creating (laughs) uh settlements in dnd uh, and and the person I don't know if you I think the channel is called Monarchs Factory. Yeah, Dale Kins- so, Dale she, Kinsmail or yep. Yes, yeah, exactly. Same and she one. said when you're, yeah, she just said just think about sperm, uh, social, political, economic, religious, military. Like every every town should have s- something like that falls under each of those categories. Yeah, and that's exactly where that came from. I, I will not, I will not deny or hide my my resources. That's absolutely where it came from. And then I think also becomes so. I think part of that, and, and maybe where I would move away from what she had described is, and maybe because Neverland's a bit smaller. But I also found a big part was thinking, oh, maybe one of these five can be absent. Like uh, there's one like a, a gnome hamlet, and they have like no. They have no military, like they are completely peaceful. And I think because of that tells a lot of who they are. Um, Or if a group doesn't have any sort of religion, then what does that mean for them? Or if they have no politics and they're just a completely chaotic society, then that's something else too. Um, But yes, I, yeah, I think that's been that, that YouTube video uh, really unlocked uh, at least how to organize it for me, because especially in city design, I would be really stuck with how do I sort out what what is necessary to make it feel alive and complete. And it's absolutely those kind of five key things. That's kind of that's a very interesting insight that that you're thinking about these five 
key factors that are pre- present in most places, but but actually omitting one of them helps you flush out and like more um, like helps helps a certain group become, I guess, more unique. Yeah, because I mean, if you think of if you go into a city and there's no social component, like everybody's doors are closed and their windows are boarded up, that already tells you a lot uh, and is I think so prominent that. I think players will remember, like, oh, this town is the weird antisocial town. This town is the, like, really uh, kind of, like, heavily uh, enforced kind of, like, uh, like military state. Uh, and and it helps define them. So I think in the same way that I'm talking about factions, I also think having those five be varied across different areas helps, too. Uh, like, if you have two cities that are both really religious, then... I think actually, but I say that I think having two different cities that are really religious would be great for conflict because then they probably oppose each other in a way that they don't oppose other cities that don't have that same emphasis on religion. They're probably just busy trying to bring their gospel to those towns to overpower the other major religious state. Yeah. Yeah, that might be hard to adapt to a game because there's no real world examples of any of that type of conflict that people <laughs> draw from. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Yeah, like in in terms of like obviously you had um, you had some raw material to like that this is obviously based off of, and I should say even the. <laughs> Fuck, I should have said this like right up front. This is not based on the Disney property. This is based on the book. And so um, like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys are are not protagonists. They're forces of chaos. And and uh, Peter Pan specifically, my understanding goes in the book, uh, is not overly concerned with who like with the collateral damage of his actions. And so this is this is much more like a um, like an old school fairy tale where uh, where danger is is hardwired in, into every every part of the setting. Obviously, like the Croc, the Pirates, Peter Pan, like and the Lost Boys and the Fairies, um, those those are all present for you to to adapt and bring in. What other stuff like did you really enjoy adding that wasn't in there before? And and I guess a follow up to that, what stuff did you have a hard time with bringing in? Um, so I think what I really enjoyed was expanding on the, the fairies, uh, or like making the, like the Tinkerbell and that sort of kind of like type of fairy one of a larger population. So, and this is a kind of, not a spoiler, but a big part of Neverland is it's essentially two settings. Uh, there's the island, which works with a lot of really grid like structure. Um, but then you can also kind of access um, the like fairy realm, uh, which is not consistent or in line with the kind of like official D and D fairy realm. Um, but I really had fun working the like rules and the kind of researching the history of fairies um, to put it into the book because I find even just kind of going through the core monster manual, there aren't really a lot of like fae or creatures defined as fae. Um, is that right? Is that what the creatures like? It's so it's like aberrations and undead. And, like, I think it's fae, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They are. They are a creature type. Right. So I found there aren't really that many of them. Like I think dryads. I don't think unicorns are. Anyway, all it is to say is like I, I think that's something that 
I found was uh, missing from the core 5e stuff um, and really thought that Neverland is a good way to kind of introduce that. So I really had a lot of fun writing the like the fairy trades or the things that fairies would want from the adventurers that are like dangerous and like have consequences but aren't uh, completely uh, like game breaking. That stuff I had a lot of fun with. Um, I think what I had the most challenge with, uh, and I think until, until my dying day, I will still be uncertain, but the, like in, in the original books and I think in the Disney one as well, maybe in most iterations, there's like Tiger Lily and the Piccaninny tribe. And I think that has been adapted with varying success, uh, and, something that I didn't want to so I think being being plain I think what it was was I didn't want to have an indigenous population that the players could go onto the island and uh, attack and just like mirror a lot of real world stuff that I think is problematic and not what I think suits a, a game like an all ages setting um, so my approach was that I, I reinterpreted that that faction as a group of dryads um one to kind of reinforce the themes that they kind of served in the books but two to also separate them from the other major group of like there's a lot of humans in neverland because i mean that's the, the nature of the original book um so i thought it i thought it was worthwhile having something that was different from the adult men of the pirates and the uh, the, the children of the lost boys so having or changing that into something more magical or like less purely human was hopefully a, a, a way to uh, kind of get away from that. Uh, I don't know. I, I done as much research as I could. I think it, I think it works. Um, I think there's always room for improvement, but I would say that's absolutely hundred percent. The thing I had the hardest time with. Yeah, I was, I was actually, while I was reading this book, I was listening to an episode of the judge John Hodgman podcast and uh, they were talking about about whether or not somebody should keep a painting of of Peter Pan that he got from an ex girlfriend now that he's married. Um, the and and he touched on the fact that in in the book, the representation of of the uh, the indigenous population is uh, very problematic uh, as written in the book. So I having the dryads. Um, uh, in in the setting, as as you mentioned, like reinforces the theme, also helps like to to further reinforce like this is a a wildly fantastical uh, place with with a lot of different uh, yeah many many different corners to explore. Uh, and there's a ton of monsters in here too. Just to just to change gears now, what I'm hoping to do uh, in this campaign is to is to create sort of a um i don't know what the right word like a i don't know if subclass like a new monster type um but like not not like a wild animal sort of thing but like um like uh like a hobgoblin type of thing like a a a sort of antagonistic uh faction uh that's uh that's not in the monster manual and i'm i'm hoping to do this because two of the players 
uh, are extremely knowledgeable about the source material. And I wanted to create something that is not in the monster manual so that they don't know the, the pro- properties of it when sure. they, when they eventually come up against it. Um, now you have created so many, uh, monsters. So like, can you give some guidance as to how, how you go, how you go about creating or, or like what your, what your process is? Do you have a process or is it kind of like, uh, you look at the setting, you're like what kind of, uh, or like the, not the setting, but like the specific, uh, maybe, um, environment of a particular hex. And you're like, this needs its own specific type of, of, of monster here and here, like there's gotta be some unique stuff in a swamp versus what's going to be up in the mountains. Like, uh, how, how did you approach that? Yeah, and I think what you're describing is is a lot of kind of what it went into it. Like that schematic that you were describing from my like sketchbook part at the back showing all the factions. I, I don't have that chart anymore that I wrote for the kind of ecosystem. But because Neverland is such a wild, like kind of untamed land, I, I really wanted to say, okay, what is the like apex predator in the mountains? What's the apex predator in the jungle? And then in the swamps? And then what is down from that and then what is down from that so it's like a pretty simple food chain but it is still something that i really considered what what does everything eat like are there what are the herbivores how big are they are there small ones and and going into that um and then part of that was also influenced by looking up um uh existing like part of it was like inspired by what's in the text as far as like in the book they talk about like lions and tigers and so on um but trying to make something new like what you're describing um so i didn't necessarily i guess so uh, to turn around my i guess my question is like do you want it to be like a full separate class like it's a fae it's an aberration it's undead it's blank or are you approaching it as new creatures within those existing categories uh, I have a blank page. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I mean, if we can, if we can, if we can, like brainstorm this thing right in this episode, that would be amazing. Uh, I don't want to put sure. too much pressure on you, though. No, no, no. I'm, I, I'm happy to. What I, what I had sort of wanted was a, a dangerous and mysterious group of humanoid beings. I had read uh, someone, um, like I, I was already doing a bit of research on this, and I, I was reading someone's uh, blog post about what they had uh, created, uh, their own uh, race of of beings called the Far Folk. And it was like a half-elf, but if somebody got it on with something from the, uh, like the astral plane, oh, you know? Cool. Like they, yeah. or, or, or <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but like if they were influenced by... Um, energy from the far realm not the astral plane sorry aberrations come from the far realm and, and so they they have some characteristics of of creatures from the far realm like they understand deep speech and they have and you know that's that's sort of their genesis and so someone who who maybe uh is affected by magic you know they're doing sort of rituals they shouldn't be doing and so like their their progeny would also be considered a far folk um in this case, I'm like I was thinking of just creating something from scratch uh, and and just sort of reskinning. Sorry, no, I was I was I was contemplating whether I should create something from from scratch versus reskinning an existing monster. 
And so like, I, I want them to inhabit this very uh, inhospitable mountain range so that, I mean, that's already sort of informs what their settlements and society might be like. I was thinking, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with Warhammer, but like the, the beast men. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, I was, I was kind of thinking about, about them, uh, what would it be like? Cause I don't think that there's really, I don't know if there's a, uh, a monstrous race like that in, in fifth edition. Like I really like the art for, um, some of the chaos demons and some of those demons have, who's the one with the big cleaver? Is it Baphomet? Yeah. He's, uh, he's kind of the yeah. horned, horned beast, uh, uh, representation, right? And then I was thinking, well, what if it was, what if it was a previously human or previously elven or like a mixed society that was changed somehow when one of these starfall events occurred? And so they're, they're just different now. And maybe they're magically enhanced. Maybe they, maybe the starfall like warped them and sort of, you know, combined them in some way with other things living in the mountains i'm yeah i'm really sort of at square one no and i think that's exactly what i i think yeah on the same page i think i would have said oh definitely influenced by the starfall since that's such a prominent part of your world um and i guess maybe part of it could be although this isn't necessarily designing them but maybe part of it could be that they naturally maybe not that the nomadic but that they because they've been kind of exposed to it for so long could almost not predict but like are naturally drawn towards or migrate towards where and when the next starfall will fall so there's like this risk versus reward for the starfall like oh we know it's going to kind of go here but this group is naturally going to be either close or making their way towards it so that there's a, 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 like a natural challenge to it like they are inclined to succeed and get it and continue to kind of like flourish as a society but those that can kind of overcome it Ooh. get it yeah. i like that a lot i i had just i had just like my my one thought was like they're they're largely um sort of isolated and and kind of hermetic but i do like okay. i do like the idea of having a a group of them who are very confrontational <laughs> sure. who, who go out and yeah, like having that, um, I guess having that, uh, sense that, that preternatural innate ability to, to sort of detect it and sense it, um, that be- like, that's sort of like their, their, their sort of domain that, uh, that no one else can really do other than maybe a few handfuls of, of wizards who can detect magic. Yeah, yeah, and just in terms of like, I'm I'm not like very visually uh, creative um, as a with you as an artist. Like, what? How how would you how would you sort of envision? Um, and is there any anything in Neverland that sort of is sort of like in in this ballpark? Uh, do you think? Yeah, I think the closest I could think of is there are a couple of different like I'll call them infections that can happen in the island. Um, and so what that does is it essentially just kind of like alters another creature. So, and actually my players are running into this right now. Um, there's like a, a colony of giant 
uh, a giant ants um, that is infected by, and it's essentially like the the Last of Us or the kind of like parasitic mushroom where it it uh, kind of hardwires the brain of the the host to kind of do things that are unnatural to the creature to better serve the host or sorry, better serve the parasite. Um, I, not that that's necessarily what you're describing or looking for, but what you could do is, or what I've done is essentially that, that thing or that parasite makes, uh, the kind of creatures behave differently and then also gives them like advantage on certain attacks, but then all attacks against them roll with advantage. Like there's, there's kind of like, Check not checks and balances, but just kind of like additions that it adds to it. So, if we're talking about like a, a multicultural community where there's like elves and and gnomes and and so on, then it could be the sort of thing where it like doubles their HP and gives them all innate spell. Like it, where instead of you having to go from scratch, your players are now like, oh yeah, we fought a bugbear, but or now like a, a yeah a bugbear. But what do we do when we fight a like a crystalline bugbear? Things like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I in, just in terms of like how how that sort of like magical influence would would change the appearance of of like a human or an elf. Like I, that's that's something that I'm not really great at at envisioning. <laughs> okay. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll go on Pinterest or something. Well, I guess like what what do you want? I, so I tend to put, I think the trick of it. Sorry, what I tend to do is pull from real life. Like obviously those infected bugs, the the art is a little different, but it's still inspired by something that happens in nature. Um, I mean, what you could do is, or what I would suggest is consider what you want the relationship between the starfall and this community to be like is it a drug is it a consumable is it something that they kind of is like radiation um and then start to research what those sorts of effects are like in real life like if it's radiation then maybe skin gets loose and every and now you're talking about Oh, we fought a bugbear, but have we fought a like a uh, like a I don't know maybe the maybe the folk would call them lazy bugbears as a way to diminish the actual horror of this bugbear with saggy skin and the hair just kind of like hangs loose like they've been in the the wash too long, uh, <laughs> but still horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it more like a is it a is it a drug where they are ingesting it or grinding it up, but the effects is that it starts to kind of like build and grow inside their body or however it's ingested. Um, inspired by something that really terrifies me, I think it's crystal meth that does that, where you start to like get uh, formations inside. Anyway, what I'm saying is, is I think it's <laughs> horrifying that if you if you look up something real world. That should give you something of of a visual, um, and also hopefully will give the the players something concrete to grab onto. Right. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have a, a weird afternoon googling various skin disorders. And uh... <laughs> yeah, like what if what if they're called the the hollow or the the. I don't yeah I don't know what the term would be but like what if it just pockmarks or like uh like almost looks like dimpled oh the, yeah there you go what if it's everyone or a creature just starts to look like a, essentially like a tennis ball from the consumption of this resource where they just are completely normal but then just have these like divots 
all over their bodies. Huh. I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, well, I had I had kind of... Having, having that kind of physical um, change uh, kind of dovetails nicely into what I was thinking. I, w- I would want them to be... Like, I like putting something in front of my players that uh, is is not immediately knowable. Like where it's like, okay, this is a human. He's got a sword and a shield and like, you know what he's about. He doesn't have a whole lot of hidden tricks. But if, if there's like this, if they know of this other group and it's like a very secretive group and not much in real world is known about them and they, you know, they all sort of wear these masks that just have like, spots for the eyes and and not much else like maybe they communicate telepathically with each other and so are silent uh that that's like okay well what are what are they about like they have these abilities that we don't like we know that they have these abilities we don't know what they are um we don't really know too much about them so like how do we how do we approach this i like sort of giving that uh like that that sort of unknown quantity is definitely like it's an additional risk that they have to take uh, yeah. and like adds it adds a little bit of danger and tension if they have these changes to their bodies and they you know are are sort of wanting to occasionally go into society you know obviously i i would imagine that they'd be considered outsiders they might want to wear a mask that 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 obscures what they really are right and so yeah. people sort of know, like this is this is one of the uh, people from this particular uh, area. Um, we don't really know why they wear these masks, but they do. Uh, and then if you're if you're getting into that, they're naturally drawn towards the star or like the star or this resource. Then there might also be the kind of risk reward of using uh, items forged from these this material that like almost like the sting or like the, I guess maybe using the ring is a better example where they immediately, or if they're close enough to it, recognize it and then will be in pursuit of it. Like, so there's that, okay, we can use this and it's super powerful, but it's also potentially going to be putting blood in the water. So what do we do this? Is it worth it? Uh, and then going from there and then finding, is there something that can can dampen it? Like is a, I mean, I'm going back to fairies. Is there like an iron sheath for a sword that will hide its power until it's absolutely necessary? Or do people like, do the wealthy have these like iron vaults that store the stuff to kind of keep their, whatever it is, the scent or the signal away from, from this other population? Ooh, that is something I had not considered, but I really like that idea. Um, like a, a sort of uh, counterpoint, like a like an antimatter <laughs> to yeah, like a uh, mundane it, thing. <laughs> maybe it's very uh, common, but people just don't don't know the proper way to use it and to to sort of mask that uh, um, magical um, beacon. And and you know, like as time goes on in the campaign, they're going to be accumulating more and more of this stuff. So there'll be more and more of a target, uh, of this, of this particular group. That's really neat. Yeah. I like the idea of, we don't need to actually steal the stuff out of the safe, but we just need to 
open it up so that way the other like the others or will then cause enough havoc like that there's there's kind of a couple approaches to to a a problem awesome that's i mean that certainly gives me a lot to go on um do you think that will work for like what we're talking about with the kind of like influence of this resource do you think that will give you enough play with existing monsters or reskinning monsters to throw off your players? I mean, I think I think anything that's not in the monster manual will uh, will definitely give them pause, and and I mean, you've really articulated a whole bunch of of different ideas that just really seems like really effortless for you <laughs> uh, to uh, having like, like, uh, you know, having this one aspect logically entails, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so like, I find that I'm not always the best at, at making those connections. Like if you start with this, this one unique aspect of the creatures, like what does that logically entail? I think it probably like with, with um, magic and spellcasting being less common in this setting than it is in most other D&D settings, I think having this group of people, like every one of them being an innate spellcaster, would make sense. And I think that that, that aspect alone will probably, uh, yeah, make the players hesitate when, they, <laughs> when they're considering using this, this stuff. Uh, in terms of like the how I would like incorporate well let me take a step back like I was thinking about in terms of of the just going back to the crafting system which I haven't figured out yet I was thinking about having like different power levels if I can use that uh term to to the the starfall like having sort of low medium and then high would be obviously the most valuable but it's also very unstable and so a lot of uh, bad things can happen to it if some like a novice uh, tries to use it in a, in a certain way. It's like very easy to to fail uh, at at harnessing it properly. So maybe maybe that like an unstable uh, starfall came into these mountains and and you know sort of unleashed its chaotic energy into this existing uh, culture that was living there, and now they're this this other thing. Yeah, that sounds... So, I mean, a crafting system sounds very exciting to me. Uh, I think what I would end up doing is, uh, like, if I was in your position, I'd end up researching, because I'm sure lots of people have done crafting stuff online, and then just cherry-picking the best stuff. But what have you... What have you... Like, what do you want to get out of the crafting system? Not that I'm going to have a solution. I just, like, what do you... What sort of experience do you want the players to have? Like, outside of this risk of being too low powered for the the weapon they're using like what do you want the process to be or the structure of making the weapon or finding the materials to be what i hope that they would get out of it is that um that they can create items that do specific things uh that really that are sort of like outside of the existing scope of magic items in the uh dungeon master's guide and like common things that people already know exist like a wand of magic missile for example or like a frost blade part of it is anticipating that once they get the stuff 
that they will want to do it. Like they will want to make their own stuff. Like to me, there's no question, question about it. So like, I need to be prepared for that eventuality. I think at the beginning, like, I mean, the alternative is that they bring this stuff to an NPC who knows how to do it. The NPC does it all for them. But I mean, that's, that's not as satisfying as getting them to sort of indulge their creative side and, and have, you know, have their own characters grow in this, in this way that's not really connected to their arcs, so to speak, but like that they're that they're sort of creating meaningful meaningful things for their characters to to like to help them, I guess, with with the next challenge. And it's like it's it's an aspect of the game that I haven't like I mean just like just for my own part. Like it's it's an aspect of the game that I've never tried. I'm sure other people have had great success with it. Like there's some crafting tips in Xanathar's Guide to Everything and the Dungeon Master's Guide. Oh, right. There's I mean they're they're not great. They're they're a bit lackluster. And so I'm yeah, I'm I'm just sort of wanting to have something that's that's fun and like I mean I think I've done some reading of of people's suggestions already. You know, obviously getting the getting the stuff uh, getting the starfall is is going to be the most challenging thing, but then like mixing it with other stuff that they have on hand, like I, I I don't know. Like to me, it seems like something that the druid will be keen to learn how to do because she comes from the Feywild, which is innately magical, and it makes sense for me that she would probably be the most adept uh, at at learning that. So then, d- would it be tied to, or would you want? multiple layers to the crafting or like multiple, I don't want to say quests, but like, I guess what I'm getting at is would it be the sort of thing where, Oh, I want to craft something that gives me more charisma. So we need, well, no, maybe not. That's not a good example. Maybe what it is, is I want something that protects us from fire. So we've got this magical material, we've got armor, but now I need something that is like innately resistant to fire. So that's where we need to kind of like kill this creature or collect this herb or find this stone that is naturally going to be pulled or have those properties pulled out by the starfall and then infused into the armor like if it's a three-factor system of like object starfall and property then that seems pretty something you could wrap your head around with around quickly but also still lends itself to oh we saw this thing maybe i could or we killed this thing maybe i can keep its teeth later so i can use its poison for something like it becomes uh, something proactive that they can do once they've started to learn how it works. I don't know. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that that does make a lot of sense, and that actually uh, fits in like with um, something that I had read online. Somebody was saying, "Okay, you need uh, so many ingredients, and you need uh, somebody had said like a recipe, um, but like if they had Starfall and like a." Um, uh, like a, I don't know, like a, this is probably going to be a, not a great example, but like a cloak and they had killed a ghost <laughs> and they could take some of that ectoplasm and then so that they can turn themselves like invisible or like use it to walk through a wall or something like that. Yeah, that's great. Cause then you get a cloak that is maybe like resistant to possession now, or like it gives you like a couple different things that are sensible to what they were fighting. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it all makes sense. But well, like, if they killed like a blank dog, then like they could they could get like temporary teleportation. Type yeah, of stuff. cool. Yeah, 
Yeah. So then you're going, oh, what if we just fought? What do I want about this? And then how do I get that type thing? So it's there's a there's a Castlevania game where essentially uh, the player or like the the protagonist collects the souls of the monsters he fights and then can use like one component of them uh, as kind of like a, a bonus attack. And it sounds very similar to that. Or like I think that's what I'm leading towards is. You know, you fought a uh, you fought an imp, so now you get this sort of resistance to fire, or you can temporarily understand abysmal, uh, abysmal. No, but anyway, the the language of of demons type thing, like something, depending on what the player wants to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the warlock has an imp familiar, so I I I just want to make sure that they're not continually killing it to get resources in that way. But I guess. <laughs> <laughs> fair but i mean the thing is is they only have so much starfall right like it depends exactly there's still a limit to that resource so maybe that's how you control it that way so just to i guess hop back to neverland like uh you know i had i you know we're we're playing a campaign which which hopefully we'll get back to sooner sooner or or eventually Mm -hmm. um that's like very open world and and neverland obviously is a um there's not um like there's a lot of hooks that you've built into built into the setting and some i don't i I mean i'm really hesitant to call it plot but a lot of a lot of stuff going on that that i think players wouldn't would naturally want to explore like when you're when you're creating a like a setting and you and you're wanting like to me if i'm creating like um like a continent or or a a nation i i feel like there's various cities and settlements and uh i i tend to think of them as sort of like as as very monolithic you know like this this settlement likes this and they do that and that's that's kind of it but like when you're when you're sort of like building a setting like do you obviously like creating like filling filling the setting with who who's who's there why are they there? What do they want? And that that's sort of helps you determine what sort of potential conflicts there are. Like to you, are there more interesting hooks in those conflicts than than others? Like where when you're when you're sort of creating a uh, an ecosystem as as you describe it, like where what what sort of hooks do you do you like to to sort of put out there? I think, uh, and maybe you experienced this in the game we were playing, I think what I like best is an adventure that has player choice and then also really emphasizes the consequences to those choices. Like that the world is responding to the players as much as the players are responding to the world. Because I don't think, I mean, I think in a lot of ways having like the players be the chosen one is a great way to make the players feel like they are a major part of the world. Um, but I, I find like, so I, I remember in the game we've been playing, uh, the adventurers, like your group killed someone, uh, and then later went back to a, like an essentially in a patron, uh, who's like been giving you quests and that, and then said, okay, we now have to figure out who killed this person. Uh, and like it made sense for that patron but also now and we don't i don't know what's going to happen but like the five of you or the the group is now met with oh we did that what do we do and i think that those sorts of hooks or the sorts of uh 
uh, kind of like the sorts of things that bring a player in um, and then responds to those actions, I think are what I like to put into a game. So as much as the initial hooks in the book are like, are, are varied and hopefully apply to a bunch of different classes or types of players, um, I think that's really just the starting point that after that, what I try to do is really keep the players engaged by saying, oh, you did this and now you have to deal with the consequences. <laughs> I think we're going to cover that up just just with a string of more murders, to be honest. I mean, that seems like the, the best <laughs> solution to me. <laughs> um, now, uh, like Neverland is full of very, uh, like a, a huge variety of, of monsters and creatures of varying difficulties. Like you as a, as a, as a game master, like how do you, do you like to telegraph like, hey, this is something that is out of your league, or do you leave that up to the players to, to sort of decide and learn from the hard way? I think, <laughs> actually, I don't know. I will ask, I will turn it, I, will, I have something in mind, but you as a player who's played in a game that I've run, how have you felt about the challenges you've run up against as we've, as we've played? Um, you know what, they've been, they've been uh, surprising. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, and... If I can summarize it this way, like we we never really know what we're talking to or dealing with. We never really know how strong they actually are until until push comes to shove. I mean, when we're dealing with our the like the goblins, we we I think we know pretty confidently that if if it came down to it, it wouldn't be the hardest fight. Whereas if we're dealing with um like one of one of the rooks, right. Uh, you know, we, um, I remember Kevin had, uh, launched an Eldritch Blast at one and it seemed, it seemed like it was more angry than hurt. And so, right. <laughs> and so I, I think, I think maybe you're, you're not, maybe it's just the size of the creature that we're dealing with determines how powerful <laughs> it is. Cause those things are pretty large, right? And same, same with yeah. the, um, same with those, um, the, like the watchmen, I can't remember what they were called. They were like the sort of like the oval Oh, oval like headed things yeah they're also yeah for a different group yep yeah and um i th- i think maybe maybe the size does telegraph their their challenge rating but uh uh i'll, I'll say that you never like forced us into a a confrontation that we couldn't that you didn't also give us the chance to get out of like yeah. so like like okay like now we got to run away it's like no 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 you're you're in it until until the until it's over it's like yeah you want to run away i will let you run away (laughs) well well, i think the thing is is like those those monsters or creatures are not just looking to die like at the end of the day in the same way that you are are fleeing something that you think is a challenge i think if, if if i don't know if a tiger is sitting there and a mouse crawls up on the paw and then flees the the tiger isn't necessarily thinking oh i need to go kill that just because it's weaker than me um I think it's. I think if you collectively determined, oh, this is not our fight to win, then, then most of the time they probably won't pursue um, unnecessarily. But okay, so as far as as far as telegraphing, I think, I think it's a mix uh, because I think I try to telegraph what would your players see and let you determine that. Like I, I guess I try not to put onto the the characters you feel scared by looking at this. It's like, okay, well, you've looked at, you've seen a dragon now, what do you do with it? Like, it's a dragon, so do you fight this dragon or do you flee it? 
um, and then go from there. And then as far as, I mean, also part of this game and Neverland as well, I think I've mixed it up so that way there, like what the, there are lots of random tables in Neverland that essentially whenever you go to a new hex, what you run into is completely randomized. And I've also admittedly told my Neverland players this as well, that like, you know, you might run into something and it might be deadly for you, but that's also just depends on what you collectively do. Um, like they recently fought like a, a, essentially like a giant praying mantis, which is very deadly if it, uh, this is a, a spoiler, if it picks you up with both hands, it uses its next turn to eat the head so of the character. Um, so, oh my god. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, if it gets you, uh, and if, it, if it's not actively stopped from doing that, then the character, like the, the player will lose its head. Um, but the players froze it and did a bunch of stuff that essentially was like paralyzed and then they fled because they knew oh we're in trouble here um so i think i think it becomes less just a back and forth of attacks and more of like okay we have these resources part of them is the character sheet but part of it is also the surroundings and what do we know about this creature and just I, I, I want to make sure that the, the character sheet has lots of answers, but not all of them. And I think that's also what you're saying too. Like with, with figuring out a, a threat that is not in the monster manual, you want to make sure that the players rely on role-playing and other research to get info beyond out-of-game reading. Uh, so yeah, that's how I kind of try to approach monsters. Like, as you know, I do like these behind the screen episodes and, I and, and like in the in the other ones uh, from the last campaign, I've 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 often said you know the the uh, the players have sort of done this thing that I didn't expect, uh, which is I think probably the lament of many game masters. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, but in terms of like you're running your own group through the setting that you created, like are they doing stuff and approaching the settings like in way that you didn't anticipate? Uh, yes. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, like I think I, I naturally assumed, or I think what I've put in is, uh, I think I know how I would explore Neverland and it's very different from how they're exploring Neverland, which is fine. Um, but is also where, uh, I think I, I less run into, oh, I have these things planned. What, when are they going to get to it? Um, because at the end of the day, like the, the giant ants that are um, infected with this parasite, that's been going on this whole time. But they've just like only recently come up with a, like essentially they've run up against a threat that m- forced them to kind of pay attention to it. If they would have gone and explored the colony at the beginning, they would have taken care of it. It would have been like a level two challenge and that's fine. Um, but because of of them actively focusing on other stuff and they've gotten different resources and made different friendships, they are now coming at it at a different challenge and, and, and that's great. Um, so are they, are they doing something I'm not expecting? Yes. But I think it's more so just that their characters have skills and resources that I, I couldn't always plan for. Um, so who, yeah, that's, that's it. I think I just, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the different spells. So half the time, what I think would be a challenge they can solve pretty quickly with a, uh, with a spell. But then I think I've planned the character motivations enough. Well, planned them well enough that if 
if this magic comes in and really screws up their plans, then they're going to respond to it. And then now either next time it won't work or it will be more of a challenge or the, the antagonists have approached something differently. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm constantly surprised by what they do. Uh, but also never surprised like, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I should have expected that this would have gone down in a (laughs) ball of fire. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Well that, that's comforting to me that you, that you, um, you know, as someone who has has created a a, a nearly two hundred page book about about this this setting, that you're still getting surprised by uh, by how um, your players are are going through your sandbox. Um, now, like personally, I never would have thought to to run a game in Neverland, but like after reading through like all of the all all of the different challenges and dangers that this setting has like i i would absolutely and and hopefully you know hopefully we'll get to do it on the podcast like as as a as a group as to play play through some of this uh i i would absolutely run a game through neverland because it seems <laughs> like you've you've really empowered the uh the game master here to to just sort of let the player and and personally like i've never run a hex crawl either so it'd be a great learning experience for me but you've really given like so many resources and tools to the game master here like at, at their fingertips i i'd be super excited to run this game so uh if people want to pick it up and they should like where where can they get it um i, I guess it's like available through most like book retailers like the Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, for the, the American listeners, uh, chapters like in Canada, um, most places will get it. Like you can also get it through like a local game store. If they don't already have it, then you can kind of like call, and most places will be able to order it if you want to support local. Um, but yeah, essentially wherever you get books, if you type in Neverland uh, RPG setting or Neverland Andrew Cole, but it, it should it should find it. Uh, yeah. If people want to check out like more of your work, where should they where should they find you? Oh sure, yeah. I um, my website or most of my social media stuff is Kolb is neat. Um, so kolbisneat.com or uh, Kolb is neat on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, also, I think on Reddit where I like I don't do much on Reddit, but I do post my like campaign diaries for my like playtesters and and like ongoing setting in Neverland in case you want to see kind of how I use it or how I've like expanded on things. Um, like essentially, uh, so a, a thing that's happened recently is in exploring this uh, ant colony, the druid in my group has changed into or has now been able to kind of, um, it's not polymorph, wild shape, wild shape into one of them. Um, so I had to kind of introduce a mechanic so that way she doesn't immediately just kind of like get absorbed into the hive mind. So just little stuff like that, that like all the rules aren't in the book, but like as I'm running into things, I will post it online. So that's a good way to kind of see um, how I've kind of approached some of my own challenges. So uh, and, yeah. And where, where, where on Reddit that's can... It. Oh, great question. Uh, I don't know enough about Reddit. It's just like to my profile. So like user or u slash Kolb is neat, I guess, is probably it. Um, I think if you go into Reddit, though, and then type in like Neverland a fantasy RPG setting game diaries or something, then that's a good place to start. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll, I'll link it in the... 
Oh, thank you. In, in I the notes that's a, that's for the terrible, episode. Terrible search engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, and, thanks, Andrew, for uh, for joining me here. Uh, this has been a great a great chat, and uh, uh, I can't wait to check out your uh, your campaign diaries to see what happens with uh, with your players in Neverland, and uh, can't wait to run run my own game in Neverland and uh, see if my players get their heads bitten off.